This is Mulligan. Next on the auction box, we got Odell Beckham Jr. Who I have $15. Bid one. $31. $31. $31. Bid one. Two, two, three. 34. 34. Y'all are all done. Sold. 34 to Shiny Top. $34. Now here's your host, Alex Dreisick. Desmond Lazard Barrow in the marketplace. All right, welcome to the show. Looking at the recent headlines in sports, that opening audio clip was from ESPN, who held a live fantasy football auction draft during their 18-hour fantasy football marathon. Fantasy football auction drafts are where each fantasy team is given a budget they can spend on NFL players to fill in their fantasy football team. But live, in person, I mean, it obviously looked bad. You had a majority white audience bidding on a majority of African-American football players. And when they showed the auction on TV, they had Odell Beckham Jr.'s head on a stick. ESPN has since apologized for the incident. The only thing left ESPN could do would be like to change the name of auction drafts to something else. But not doing a live auction on live TV probably is a good place to start. But these NFL players feel they've been getting screwed on their contracts with guaranteed money, which is true, they have been. But get in line, NFL players. If, if you think you're getting screwed, look at these NCAA athletes still. I mean, as most of you were NCAA athletes before this anyway, and you know how that feels. And the dictionary to be a slave says, a person entirely under the domination of some influencer person. With the NFL Players Association, who has shown they will fight for the players like Greg Hardy and Ezekiel Elliott and Le'Veon Bell, their fighting is more about precise money they should receive, which don't get me wrong, they're getting screwed, or they'll fight against management about penalties, suspensions, or fines a player receives because apparently Roger Goodell isn't trusted to make honest decisions like in the case of Ezekiel Elliott. But I don't think they're eating as big a crap burger or a sandwich, whatever you want to call it, as the NCAA student-athletes. As I've said so many times before on this show, that there are many different things that should change in the NCAA before we do anything else in college sports. I mean, an NCAA athlete has an injury or performs poorly. There's no guaranteed money that's signed with the NCAA. They lose their scholarship, and they can't afford school and have to drop out. Seems a lot more catastrophic than losing some of your non-guaranteed money. I'm sure you have something to say to that. Hmm? All right, also in the news, Michael Bennett says he won't stand for the national anthem until everything seems equal. I think, I, like I said, I won't, I won't stand until I feel like everything's equal. Uh, I won't stand until everybody has justice. I won't stand until everybody has freedom. Um, the things that America is built on. I think um, protesting the national anthem begins a conversation about the truth of America. What if, I'm not protesting the flag. Um, I'm actually trying to honor what we're supposed to be honoring, the freedom of America, the equality of America. We've already on this show talked about this with Colin Kaepernick. I'm totally fine with the players speaking or talking a peaceful stand for what they think is right or what needs to change. But doing it right before a football game has repercussions that these players need to realize they're taking on. First off, Sports are usually where most people get away from the political atmosphere, and they use it as a getaway in a sense. It's their chance to scream and cheer and enjoy a competition. So you're going to have people angry if you're taking that away from them. 
Second, any protesting on the NFL or really anything that's going to affect the NFL's revenue affects the owner's revenue, which affects the team's revenue, which affects the player's revenue. So owners do have the right to not sign a player to their organization for any reason because this is America and it's their organization. And you know, when you do do it before the national anthem, you're doing it in the organization's uniform. You're wearing the San Francisco 49ers jersey or you're wearing the Seattle Seahawks jersey if you're Michael Bennett. So you are representing an organization and what you do reflects the whole organization. You can say, I'm taking this stand and the other players are okay with me taking it, but they're not taking it with me. But you are doing it in a Seahawks uniform right before the game, which means you're representing that organization, just like if you did it in the workplace at your office. So players do need to take that into account. And the hardest part for me is explaining this to someone who has lost a friend or family member fighting in the military. To those people, standing for the national anthem is to honor those troops who have fought for this country, that let people take stands like what Colin Kaepernick and Michael Bennett are doing. And it's great. It's truly American. I've said it before. It's truly American that some of these players are taking their stand and speaking their mind. That's what this country's for. They even know the consequences and do it. I'm proud of that. But I think there's a time and a place for this. And right before a football game might not be it. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk about Generation Z and its relationship with sports, and then we're going to get into our NFL preview of the week. So stay here with Moose's Mulligans. This is your favorite sports podcast. You can do what you want to us, but we're not going to sit here and listen to you badmouth the United States of America. Gentlemen! Now back to your host, Alex Streifick. Welcome back here to Moose's Mulligans. That break brought to you by Bonzel Postal and Imaging. Go there for your notarizing, destruction, mailing. Bonzel Postal and Imaging is at bonzelpi.com. Give your home business a real business address. So, there's an interesting topic I'd like to hit on before the NFL preview this week, and it's the topic of Generation Z and its relationship with sports. So Generation Z are the kids after the millennials. I like to think of them as the generation that grew up with iPhones and never had the AOL or dial-up. This Generation Z definitely identify as sports fans. About 86% of them do. But there's a fear that the sports we've seen grow unbelievably over the last 100 years are now starting to disappear. Unfreaking believable! But how can so many people be sports fans and sports decrease? Well, the amount of participation in sports continues to decrease, mainly the amount of children participating in youth sports. 2017 saw the ninth straight year of a rise in inactivity among children. So this means the percentage of children not participating in physical activity or sports continues to rise. Some of it seems to be from the need for immediate gratification, so... The children grow up with a smartphone in front of them that can do so many things so quickly at the same time that the idea of training and working over a long period is just unattractive to them. Not only all that training, but the fact it's not a guaranteed success. The work you put in doesn't guarantee you a college scholarship or a shot at professional sports. Amazingly, the only sport going in an upward trend over the last 10 years is ice hockey. After an 
internal study on this, they revealed that 43% of children quit the sport by age 9. So they made major changes. They reduced the emphasis on travel, and they changed the rules to facilitate more safety for the parents. And the sports decline turned into a 44% increase in participation over the last five years. Well, that's more like it. So also the U.S. Olympic Committee and USA Hockey have adopted this broader recommendation to increase accessibility, and they're encouraging these athletes to play other sports. So what studies have shown is that children have become more one-sport-based. Sports played per participant has dropped about 6% over the last five years, basically saying that the youth are participating in less sports. This doesn't mean that these children aren't participating in sports. It means they're focusing on one sport. And this is being led by what is called the specialty sport. So parents think their children stand the best shot of receiving college scholarship or a chance at professional sports if the child focuses on one sport alone their entire career. But the latest studies are showing that these children have been what's called burning out. So they play one sport year-round, and by the time they begin to mature, they've already burned out or they've lost interest in the sport because it's the only thing they've done. The ability to have such quick results and information on the fingertips seems to be testing the patience of these potential athletes. And so far, the technology is winning and the sports aren't. The immediate results versus doing a sport an entire year and just slowly seeing the results come along is, is the battle and technology keeps winning. Just some interesting stats for you there about Generation Z and what we can see in the future of sports. It'll be interesting to see how you sports adjust. All right, with the remaining time we have, I wanted to preview the NFC North and the AFC North this week for our NFL preview. So in the NFC North, it's pretty obvious the Green Bay Packers are the favorite. They still have Aaron Rodgers, still have Mike McCarthy, and the receiving core stays intact with Jordy Nelson, Randy Cobb, uh, Devontae Adams, and they add Martellus Bennett at the tight end. Maybe Rodgers will actually throw to the tight end. Who knows? Running back's kind of sketchy with Ty Montgomery and rookie Jamal Williams. We'll see how that goes. And their offensive line is middle of the road, so I'm not thrilled about that. Their defense still, to me, struggles. Uh, they're going to try and keep – they didn't make too many changes on defense, so I, I think they're hoping the guys they have will improve. I mean, Ha, Clinton Dix, and Clay Matthews disappointed me a little bit last year, so we'll see how they bounce back. The only threat for them this year I see, and, I, and I'm emphasizing this year, is the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, pretty good offensive line. It's improved a little bit. Um, they have a rookie running back in Dalvin Cook with Latavius Murray on the pup. And you have Sam Bradford at quarterback. Still not thrilled with Sam Bradford. He has pretty good receivers with Diggs, Adam Tyleen, and uh, Laquan Treadwell. But we'll see. Rudolph, very underrated tight end. But with Sam Bradford, I don't, I don't know how this is going to go. Middle-of-the-road offensive line protecting Sam Bradford, who's injury-prone, is never a good thing either. So you look at their defense. It's led by Xavier Rhodes. Uh, Eric Hendricks is a good Mike at the middle linebacker. And, you know, we'll see if Linval Jones, Joseph, uh, can help with the nose tackle, stop some of this running because, uh, it's gonna, I don't know how they're gonna be able to stop the running attack. It, their defense is underrated in my mind, but we'll see how they do. The Chicago Bears are my team for the future here in this conference. I, I really like what they're building here. Uh, their offensive line is the best in this division, I think. Uh, you got Jordan Howard. You've got a backup in Jeremy Langford who has proven he can help. 
and Mike Lennon's at QB. I think he's a little underrated. Mike uh, Mitch Trubisky, excuse me, has had an unbelievable uh, preseason so far, which is a good sign. You had Victor Cruz as a veteran with Marquise Wheaton as well to the wide receiver core of young Kevin White and Kevin Meredith. That's uh, Cameron Meredith. That's nice to see. And the big thing I emphasize is their offensive line looks pretty solid, led by Kyle Long. So their defense is improving. They still have Terrell Freeman, who has been a good linebacker for them. And you have Quinton Debs uh, at the safety position now to try to help out. And Marcus Cooper will be at corner with Prince Amukamara. I just wanted to try to say that. But they'll be improved, but I don't think they're going to be enough to really threaten this division. But my Bears are looking like a good team in the future. And then the team I always quit on, the Detroit Lions. Sorry to my family from Detroit. But I always look at their offensive line, and it's usually crap. And... Their number one wide receiver is Golden Tate. I don't like that. Their number two is Marvin Jones. I'm just not sure about that. They got a rookie in Kenny uh, Galloway, and I'm not sure about that either. Uh, running backs are Amir Abdullah, who's a real big pass catcher running back, and then Theo Riddick is kind of the same. They don't really have someone that can really pound at you. And ever since they lost Ndamukong Sue, not saying he's doing good on another team, their defense has kind of struggled. They added a rookie in Gerard Davis, who they hope can make an immediate impact. And you look at Haloti Nada, definitely, I think, can help out. But we'll see. He might be past his prime, which for the Lions seems to be most of their team past their prime. So, All right, moving on to the AFC North. And this is a division I'm excited about. They can make some playoff buzz. Obviously, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm big fans of. We'll see. Le'Veon Bell, in my mind, probably the best running back in the league. Great pass catcher, great runner. If Ben Roethlisberger's healthy, then this team is absolutely solid. they got a good offensive line. They've got the best wide receiver in Antonio Brown, the best catching back in Le'Veon Bell. Martavis Bryant's back from his suspension. Sammy Coates is there. Darius hayward Bay had a great year for them. Eli Rogers is still there. You had Juju Smith-Schuster, the rookie who's getting a lot of hype. A lot of tools on offense. And sneaky, Jesse James at tight end doing a great job. So to me, the weakness comes a little bit in defense. Uh, They do have Ryan Shazier when he's healthy. He's great. James Harrison seems to not age, but eventually it's going to catch up to him, I keep saying. But, you know, Stephon Tewitt, this is a solid defense. I can make some serious noise this year. The second team I like in this division is the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, a lot of people hating on Ken Zampezi, the offensive coordinator there with head coach Marvin Lewis. I like the combo with Andy Dalton. You got Jeremy Hill, Giovanni Bernard, and rookie Joe Mixon at the running back, which is solid. You still got A.J. Green. Tyler Eifert, when he's healthy, great tight end. It's just their offensive line is just terrible right now. They lost one of their star guards to Cleveland, which I'll get to in a second. But Cincinnati's O-line is one of the worst in the leagues, in my opinion, and that'll be a big weakness for them to try to keep Dalton upright. Now, on defense, you look... You've got Geno Atkins still there. You've still got Vontae's perfect. And uh, Drake Kirkpatrick, underrated in my mind. Pac-Man Jones is still there and Carlos Dunlap. So their defense is still solid in my mind. We'll, we'll keep them in contention. The question will be, can the offensive line hold up? Now the team I think of the future in this division is the Cleveland Browns with Hugh Jackson. He's also running the offense, which I like. You've got good running backs in Isaiah Crowell and Duke Johnson with each other. You've got good wide receiver coming over in Kenny Britt, who had a career year. He's with Corey Coleman and Ricardo Louie. you got one of the best O-lines in the league. I mean, Joe Thomas leads that beautifully. And they had Kevin Zietler from Cincinnati, who just lost their star guard. So 
question becomes at quarterback, obviously. You've got Osweiler, Kessler, and rookie Deshaun Kaiser. And you still have Kevin Hogan from Stanford there. And that's going to have to improve because everything else for this team is going forward and it looks good. Maybe they'll get a quarterback in free agency like Kirk Cousins, I wish. Or they have someone in mind they'll draft this next year. Or they think Deshaun Kaiser or Cody Kessler is the future. I'm not so sure about Brock Osweiler on that one. But let's look at their defense. They had Miles Garrett this year from the draft. Still got Joe Hayden at corner, which is great. Christian Kirksey has Jamie Collins with him now, which is solid. They got Emmanuel Ogba and Desmond Bryant. I like it. It's, it's solid. They're a solid defense. Their offensive line is really good, too. I think they'll pull some upsets we're not expecting. And I think they are better than the Baltimore Ravens right now. As of right now, I think they'll probably do better than the Ravens this year. So the last team in this division is where me and the projections differ. Everyone seems to be talking about the Baltimore Ravens, and I don't see it. They've already got a Flacco injury, and they lost Ricky Wagner and Jeremy Zuta on their offensive line. So their offensive line is very, very low in the league. I mean, probably like 28th in my opinion, like way down there. And, I mean, the running back core of Terrence West and Danny Woodhead, is, you know, Bobby Rainey's trying to be a part of it. It's, I'm not so sure about it. I'm, I'm not seeing it like other people are. Mike Wallace is there from Minnesota, yes. They brought in Jeremy Macklin. That's a good addition. But I'm not so sure about this. Your tight end's Nick Boyle, and your offensive line is not good at all. Their defense still has Terrell Suggs and C.J. Mosley together. That's pretty solid. Tony Jefferson comes over from Arizona. He'll be sharing the safety spot with Eric Weddle, which is solid. But the offense just seems too weak to me. It seems like they're going to be three and out more than any team in this division. I think they could go three and out more than the Browns. And, you know, we'll see. That's definitely something I'd like to look at at the end of the year. But the Browns' offense, to me, looks better than the Ravens' offense. So if their defenses are pretty even, in my opinion, and, you know... The Browns have these young potential players that if even one of them hits, it brings their ranking even higher. Why wouldn't I say the Cleveland Browns are going to be better than the Baltimore Ravens? That that would be driving in the rearview mirror if I focused on, well, the Baltimore Ravens won a Super Bowl not too long ago. And it, things change really fast in football. The careers are shorter, and players coming in can make an impact very quickly. And hit. Any chance I can get to talk to Browns up, I'm going to take it. You know, because the real Cleveland Browns went to Baltimore and won the Super Bowl. So, these Cleveland Browns are like family to those Cleveland fans. So, any chance I get to talk to the Cleveland Browns, I'm going to take it. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but... Uh... All right, that's all the time we have this week. Thanks for joining in. Uh, you can find us at facebook.com slash moosesmulligans and twitter.com slash moosesmulligans and periscope at, you guessed it, moosesmulligans. You can find our official website on facebook.com. There's a link there. Apparently, I've heard that's easier, which is nice to know because I have the long URL thanks to the NCAA. But let's not go there right now. We're running out of time. It's alexanderstryzak.wixsite.com slash moosesmulligans. All right, that's it for this week. And until next week, remember, fairways and greens, no mulligans. I'm your host, Alex Stryzak, and we'll see you next week.